0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where supermodifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. I am the host of the show and this is episode 132, meaning that when we get to our What's in a Number segment later on, we're going to be focusing on the number 32 and its relevance in Oswego Speedway and Supermodified history and that means we're going to be talking about Sewell racing, which is always a favorite topic of mine. So we'll get to that here shortly. Camden Proud is going to be joining us as well. And we got a variety of things to cover with Camden. We're going to talk about uh, the 350 super modified feature at least Speedway that uh, Jeffrey Battle ended up winning. Camden was there. So we'll have some discussion about that and uh, talk about the NESS events that were held at Thunder Road and Thompson as well. And we'll also talk Oswego Banquet with Camden. So uh, looking forward to that coming up as well. This segment being brought to you by Wiggity Wayne Sauces. Now, I think all of us, to some degree at least, appreciate barbecue sauce in some form or fashion or ketchup or rubs um, for your, your steak or your chicken. And Wiggity Wayne, Wayne Hanslick, who is a racer himself, lives right there in Buffalo, New York, Snow Country. And so Wayne is a kart racer. and Wayne wanted to; he had a notion he wanted to create some really cool sauces to elevate the whole sort of at-track tailgating, camping, all of that kind of experience. So this is this, these sauces. And ketchups and rubs are made by a racer for racers and everybody. But uh, he specifically created this really, really goofy Wiggity Wayne character. And if you go to his website, you can see the the cartoonish figure there. That's Wayne. Wiggitywaynesauces.com. W-I-G-G-I-D-Y. Wiggitywaynesauces.com. You can get yourself some apple pie moonshine barbecue sauce. Or you can get yourself some Sportsman sweet bourbon mopping sauce. I don't think you put it on your mop. I think it's actually a barbecue sauce with a funny name, I might add. But that's Wayne. You can get habanero ketchup. Habanero flavored ketchup. If you really want to be adventurous and you really, really like spice and hot, here you go. Wiggity wave brings the heat get yourself some dragon's breath habanero hot sauce now he's got just plain ketchup if that's if that's what you're into he's got uh, a really delicious rub for um steaks and burgers and and that sort of thing he's got a couple of different uh options if you're into um into other things uh chicken rubs for example he's got a beer can chicken rub and seasoning He's got a smoking Sweet Rubbin' Seasoning. All kinds of different choices here. So, uh, sauces.com Go check him out and order some. Try some and tell him what you think. He is starting to expand and get out there to through various stores and such, but you can get it right online at sauces.com And please support Wayne because... Not only does he support racing and the show, but he's a racer himself. Wiggity Wayne, sauces.com. Okay, so here's what I want to talk about in this first segment. The, as many of you know, I'm a huge history buff and I really wanted to, I've been reading through some books of, of the 70s lately and just kind of randomly picking out different years or books to read and I happened to pull out and I have it in my hand. The sixth issue um, of the 1972 season and it talks about Norm Macrath and I got thinking about the Macrath family and that got me thinking, about Canadians in general, you know, when you think about the Canadian influence on the Speedway, and I know we've touched on it in various ways in other shows, but I just, I really, w- when you when you go back through the history of supermodified racing, Canadian drivers are just so ingrained in that history. When you think about Kenny Andrews, for example, and you think not only about, and and again, we can talk results all day, but it's not, it's not really, I never look at racing just as results. To me, who wins is who wins, but, and certainly there's all kinds of conversation you can have around, you know. Winning winning and number of wins and all that. But to me, what makes our sport special is the is the people behind the wins, the personalities behind the wins. And um, and I really, when I think about the Canadian influence, um, <laughs> I mean, Kenny Andrews was, I'm sure there were a bunch of Kenny Andrews fans at Oswego, but Kenny also was a pretty controversial figure at times, right? Um, and he had that, you know, the last car he had, he, you know, it had all the bars and wrenches and he was, um, you know, you would want to call him a character and, and Kenny was, but he was again, a great guy, insurance salesman. Um, I, I, I don't know that I met him more than once or twice as far as like even getting his autograph, but because when I started going in 73, he was still racing there, but that's when he started to sort of trail off. I think 73, that was the year he won the classic. It was the last year that he ran weekly at Oswego. And so, um, interesting to think about drivers like Kenny, you had, you know, obviously Warren Conium and later Ryan, you had Norm Macrath and later his son, Brian. And I think Andy also raced a little bit at Oswego. Um, you know, it it, gosh! I could go on forever, and I'd never get, I'd never get all the names because you know they started coming to Oswego in the in the mid '60s and just kept on coming. But you think about Harv Lennox and Jack Greedy, and um, you know, gosh, you get into John Clapham, I think, with some Canada. You get into the 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 '70s, and just again, very off the top of my head. So this is not going to be a complete list, but. You know, the drivers like Scott Wilson, for example. Scott is a driver that um, loved racing at Oswego and came out of the drag racing world, started racing super modifieds, came to Oswego. He wasn't really at Oswego that long, only a few years. You know, you would have thought maybe he would have raced longer. But, you know, that, again, a driver I thought had a lot of talent. He just never quite. Got the feature win. He hit the last car. I think he had, I would say, is his best one. It was the Kept Dates car that Russ Gray ended up with. Um, unfortunate. And again, another wonderful Canadian gentleman. Um, unfortunately, w- lost his life in a crash there and turned two. I think it was in 1978. Um, but so many. Doug Daydaro. I mean, Dave McKnight and the whole McKnight group. So many Canadian um, hit crews, you know, crew members, just people that the Canadian influence at Oswego so strong, but the, the, the number of drivers who came to run, you know, you had Jimmy Brown, you had the Licties. Um, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Ravel's Canada gave us Norris McDonald. That is more than enough reason for me to appreciate Canada, isn't it? or any of us to appreciate Canada. They gave us Norris McDonald. <laughs> what would, what would the history have been like without Norris McDonald? Right. Um, you know, again, so many Cecil Stevens in the seventies with the, uh, the tablecloth car, the chuck wagon car. Um, Rick Batters, I think was from Canada also, wasn't he? When he a Canadian racer, I mean, you've just had, you, there, there's just been too many to, to, you know, Jim Gray was a Canadian who came and stayed. Right. Um, and uh, my, I mean, you, Doug Sire, gosh, you, you just, you, you just start thinking about all of those names and you think about the races, not just again, races that they have won, but you think about some of the races they ran that were some of, you know, they were involved in some of the greatest battles in, in, in Speedway history. Right. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that the Canadian influence gets talked about as much as it should. Um, you know, but it's, it's one of those sort of individual pieces of, you know, Slices of 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 a Swigo Speedway history, um, sort of subsets, if you will, of a Swigo Speedway history. One of those topics that's sort of inside of the big picture of what has made a Swigo Speedway so great. And um, you know, I I just really want to salute and thank all of the Canadians who spent so much time coming back and forth because, you know, they all had a had a pretty big hall but you know a lot of them used to come and either stay with somebody here or they or i say here stay with somebody in oswego or they would they would camp at the speedway and um you know just um just a really special uh part of the oswego speedway history that i don't think it's mentioned so i i did want to just sort of get you thinking about that and um you know, and and also, you know, again, Don Ramage just popped into my head. Um, there's there's way too many Animal, Andy Brown. I mean, you you there's it's uh, it's just amazing to think about. Um, not as many anymore, but you know, it, again, with the West Coast blowing back up with super modifieds again, having a renaissance. Who the heck knows? You know, I don't know really if you could ever see it again in Canada like you did. But, um, boy, it sure would be nice, wouldn't it? So, um, again, just wanted to put that out there. I thought it was an interesting topic to ponder. Um, don't really have a long dissertation about it, but just, again, wanted to thank all the Canadians because I just don't think that they get, uh, yeah, you know, I don't think that part of Oswego history really has had as much, uh, conversation over the years. I don't think that, I don't really know that you think about it too much, but, when, when Oswego says it's the international classic, it has always been that way because of the, you know, because of the, the Canadian influence. So um, just, uh, just wanted to throw that out there. And with that, we're going to step away. We'll close out the opening uh, segment of this show. And Camden Brown going to be coming up next. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, supermodifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end to end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, IPCIndy.com or indie and tell them that the folks from inside groove set you. Welcome back to the show as we continue with this episode of the Groove Camden. Proud joins us now and camden is uh a busy guy lately he's been uh he's been traveling around a lot but we've got a lot to cover with him uh glad to have you back on cam and uh this probably the last segment before you go to norway and then now hopefully um we have a way to actually hook up while you're there to do some segments as well so we'll be able to kind of uh keep up to date with what's going on at uh, Oswego and in Supermodified Racing. So Cam, want to talk a little bit about um, the 350 race at Lee to begin with, because you were up there, and I'm curious, is this the first time you've been to Lee Speedway? Yeah, first time ever out there. Talk a little bit about what your impressions were, and then we can talk about the race racing as well.
2: I was actually really impressed. We went straight to lee after the oswego banquet and did a nice little trip with just my sister and uh the whole brother sister bonding weekend was fun and i did lee speedway and in boston so that was a blast and um just a really nice racetrack actually um i i really enjoy the tracks that have the grandstand seating and turns three and four or one and two whichever one it is where you can sit right on top of the action in the corners and uh star speedway is like that and so is lee yep and Lee's very well kept. Uh, I noticed they keep everything looking very neat and clean, painted a nice beer tent over in turn three that I made good use of. And, <laughs> uh, just yeah, I was I, I thought it was cool, a really cool racetrack. And uh, the racing was good. Uh, they had the modifieds there, the 350 supers as well, and um, definitely enjoyed taking all that in.
1: Now did Jeffrey Battle do double duty there because uh, we've had trouble getting him on the show here since Classic because he's been racing either one or both of the cars.
2: Yeah, he's a busy guy. He's been doing a lot of racing um, with both the Tour Modified and also the 350, and he did double duty at Lee as well and had a really good day.
1: So okay, so let's talk about the racing then. Um, tell us, tell us, give us a rundown, kind of tell us how it went, and you know, and uh, fill us in.
2: The 350s actually time trial. Uh, there was I think 17 cars, uh, not bad. And this is a Bobby Weber event. Bobby runs Star, and he's been promoting some other shows like at Lee, uh, also Claremont. The 350s are going to finish their season up there this weekend. Oh, nice. And a lot of great field um, time trials. Jeffrey Battle was the fastest, 13.6. Uh, Bobby Timmons, Eddie Wickham Jr., Rusty Pollard, Ryan Locke, Jim Storis, Justin Harris. Brad Babb, the whole top eight, were all under the 14-second bracket. Um, Very close field. um, Tough to pass when the field is that close, but uh, nonetheless, it was some good racing and really enjoyed the show that the 350 Supers put on there. I think that that's a great track for them, and uh, obviously they have been running there a long time before they got away from the weekly deal a couple years ago, and uh, I actually think it's a shame that the 350s, and especially the big blocks, don't race there, uh, nearly as much anymore. I'd like to see more 350 races and also see the Alley go back there in some form for the big blocks.
1: Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, the trajectory that the 350s seem to be following because they were so big uh, at one point in New England. And now, of course, you've kind of got one group and then another group and then, you know, not racing weekly at Lee anymore and just different, you know, it's uh, just Kind of interesting to see where all of it is going and where it could go, um, but uh, you said Jeffrey ended up winning. Tell us, uh, tell us how the rest of it turned out.
2: Yeah, Jeffrey ended up winning. Um, they did, I think the top. I can't remember if it was six, maybe or eight, redrew and time trials, and of course he he pulled the pole. I think the pole <laughs> oh, or the geez. outside pole. So I'm like, great, this is over before it started. Yeah. Um, But it ended up being a good race. Um, Bobby Timmons had a nice run. Um, I know he'd been struggling with his 350 program a bit, and I ended up getting to second there at the end. Uh, Eddie Wickham Jr., also a really nice race by him. Both of them started, I think, outside of the top five. Um, So a nice run for both those guys. But Jeffrey was just in another zip code there at that point. Um, And if it wasn't for a yellow towards the end, he would have been gone by, over half a track I think at least on Bobby and the rest of the field so um, he was well into lap traffic and had lapped up to 10th um, and a caution came out for a spin late in the race and he was just able to kind of pull away with ease from there so um, Bobby ended up finishing second Eddie was third Ryan Locke fourth stores and Jim Storrs in fifth uh, and then very similar to the time trials Justin Harris, Rusty Pollard, Ben Tinker Ryan Battle and James Wickham were the top ten.
1: Okay. So that's a that was a good field and it sounded like it was some good racing there. And then um the NESS division was at Thunder Road, which is I love that track. I've never been there, but I've seen video from there. And uh I know the Tour mods have raced there. Um but i i love uh love that track it it looks like a really racy track and i imagine the supers put on a great show there
2: yeah they did um i actually wanted to go race there i kept telling my dad thunder road thunder road we just (laughs) ordered everything we need to do the full wing deal next year so uh, i was hoping to get it out before the end of this season but uh we we have everything we need now and i hope to hit some of these tracks actually late in the season next year but Um, was really impressed with the facility at thunder road. Um, we were getting ready for the banquet and ended up pulling the race up on flow. And it was, it was some good racing out there. They had 10 cars and, um, which obviously isn't very good, but they're trying to build that deal up and it's been a lot better than it was last year. So, um, I really enjoyed taking that racing in, um, heat winds went to Dan Bowes and then also to Matt Swanson. And then the feature um, was pretty exciting for a while. Um, I've gotten to be pretty close friends with Ryan Battle and actually super proud of him for the job he did. He, he led halfway, right up to halfway. Uh, then there was a yellow and Matt Swanson, his teammate in the other lane car ended up getting by him. Okay. And uh, you know, Matt, Matt kind of cruised off into the sunset from there, but Ryan did a really nice job holding his own uh, in front of names like Bose, Sites and, and Summers and, um, just keeping pace up front like that for 75 laps and, and only your second ever big black start. That's, that's pretty damn impressive. So uh, a good run for Ryan and a really good day for Howie Lane.
1: Well, it was a good day. And uh, Matt's a good young racer. He, he's, you know, obviously kind of came into it racing tour mods, ran the bowler car for a while. And um, you know, yeah. he's, he's really, really talented. So um, it's interesting that he gets his shot at uh running for howie lane Howie's had some some different drivers in his cars over the last year or two and uh always fun to see uh you know somebody like matt come from another discipline and jump in the super and go out and do well so um that's awesome and ryan uh getting the opportunity to 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 run um that's again second start and running up front but those cars are good cars and so if you can go out and you know be consistent we've seen a pattern of some of these these guys uh you know i go back to even you know drivers that uh you know jump into supers uh out of the modifieds and like teddy christopher even years ago um you know getting into the dunnigan car i think it was and, and going out winning in his first start i mean it's just yeah there's some really talented racers in new england and uh, matt and ryan are two of the younger ones that i think are gonna you're gonna do well for a long time. So that's uh that's awesome. Do we have uh we have the, the rest of the finish there?
2: Yep, Matt. The winner, Ryan in second, Dan Bose was third, Ben Sites fourth, Rob Summers fifth, Russ Wood sixth, Mike Mayberry seventh, Dave Dugan eighth, Bobby Timmons ninth, and Vern Romanowski was tenth.
1: It's good to see Dave Dugan back on the track um after uh that classic crash and so, Yeah,
2: with both his cars too.
1: That's, that's great. Some,
2: Yeah, that's some dedication. He's got Vern in the car from from Classic, the hot car, and he's running his car. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, so he went out to both Thunder Road there and also Thompson this past weekend. But, um, yeah, it's actually kind of been a cool season for NESS, just taking a look at some of the different winners they've had. And um, Robbie Summers, um, it's nice to see him get a super win earlier this year at Oxford again. And then Russ Wood, um, I know the – 41 he struggled a little bit with that in new england but ended up hopping in the lane car and had a really nice run at at oxford to go and get his first win in quite a while and bobby timmons finished his second and then a few weeks later little does he know, he picks up his first big block win uh there at oxford at the end of august and that was a two-day show and the second day verne won with dave dugan's car which okay. was the bobby bond hot car so and everything he's been through in his racing career with the fire and everything that destroyed his whole operation a while back. Um, so nice to see Dave give him this opportunity. Um, then you had Matt win twice, which like you mentioned, uh, anytime you have a driver of Matt's caliber, uh, very versatile competitor, uh, win twice in September, white mountain and thunder road. Uh, that was pretty awesome as well. Uh, and then you get to Thompson, which was a great race this past weekend too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's uh that's awesome. Okay. And so we you know, we go to Thompson now and the NESS um and then man, I just it's really a shame. I used to love the World Series Race at Thompson. It was always the fitting way to end the season for the super modifieds. Glad to see that the NESS at least are having super modifieds still be a part, but um you know, just a shame that it's not the big premier race that it used to be but how right. tell us about uh tell us about how all that went
2: yeah it seemed to be a decent race still at, at thompson um again you know i missed fields of uh, just a few years ago i was down there and it was a 25 car field yeah. uh, for for isma so you know you miss that um but boy um dan bows and ben sites were were both the cars to beat i thought earlier in the day and then Um, Matt Swanson got his car tuned in really well for the feature and and so did Ryan Battle and they both ran up front for a while there Um, it just ended up being Dan that made the moves that he needed to make early. Um, The front row was Ryan and Dave Dugan and um, I think Ryan led the first lap and Dan tucked underneath him and from there he was just gone Um, he put put quite the gap between himself and the rest of the field and um, got well into lap traffic and Um, drove a really smooth, clean race and took care of his equipment for 40 laps and and picked up the win. Um, Those guys always run really well out of Thompson. Um, They're just on top of their stuff. They know those tracks. Um, Just an immaculate piece of equipment he's got there. and um, Good to see Dan and Tony Bowes and that whole gang get back in victory lane.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely, um, and 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 again, another another new face, and um, you know, a great way to to end the season. Who uh, who is give us the rest of the rundown?
2: Yeah, Matt Swanson ended up finishing in second. Um, got by Ben, um, got by Ryan, and just didn't quite have enough for Bose at the end there. Despite a caution later on, he just couldn't quite keep up with him uh, enough to challenge for the win. Ben Seitz finished third. Um, He was passing Ryan for third earlier in the race, and they actually banged wheels. So I'm wondering if it hurt not only his car, but Ryan's as well. Ah, gotcha. Um, So maybe that's why he wasn't as quick later in the race, uh, but ended up finishing third. Uh, Fern had a nice run again, finishing fourth. Um, Had a great battle with Ryan for a while there, side by side, for several laps. And I uh, ended up winning that battle with about two to go finishing fourth. Um, Ryan ended up running out of fuel with two to go, which really sucked. Um, Jeez. so he had to pull it down into the infield. Uh, and that gave Russwood fifth Robbie Summers was sixth. Bobby Timmons seventh, Dave Dugan eighth, Mike Mayberry ninth. And then Ryan battle got credited with 10th.
1: Well, um, again, definitely, a, a good race. It sounds like, and, um, it's it's great to see those tracks still racing Supers uh, and, you know, certainly wishing the NES as well. It's interesting to me, um, you know, the whole idea of the crate, which I think is, you know, it causes a lot of unrest with some people, I think, in the super modified yeah. world, which I yep. don't think it should. Um, you know, I just feel like, and maybe you can... Um, kind of shed some light on this as a driver and somebody who understands maybe from the inside, but, you know, I feel like at this point, there's got to be a way um, to, whether you use weight or some other way, there's got to be a way to be able to allow everybody, whether you got a crate motor, or a big block motor. I mean, any SS obviously is already doing it. Um, but we, we need to figure out a way and the same in the three fifties to be able to allow everybody to run all the shows um it i i think if if we could kind of agree on a way and you know maybe make it easier for more people now you mentioned going to run thunder road if you had the wing package done um i the last i knew ness had a bit of a different wing configuration uh than what the rest of the super modified world has did that change
2: no we just have the right wing oh. <laughs> just happen to have the right wing that's all okay. um, I wish they would change that um, that has to that has to be changed in my opinion um, because they're losing cars and the crate motor deal I get it I totally see what they're trying to do there um, it makes sense the problem is nobody's going out and getting them nobody's using them and it's tough to get super modified guys who already have forty, fifty $50,000 motors to sell them off or just, you know, just the whole process of, yeah. okay, I have a motor guy. This is my motor. Um, you're probably already making plans at that point to go and freshen the motor you already have rather than sell it. And if, if that's working well for, for us right now, um, You know, in in the sense of what's convenient for the individual race teams, there's going to be teams that don't want to get away from that and are going to kind of look at it from their own point of view versus, okay, maybe this is a change we need to make for the longevity of supermodifieds down the road. And, um, you know, I think right now um, actually is a good time to sort of try to phase that in because there's certain teams and and we could be one of them here shortly, depending on what Doug Holmes is doing, that's going to be looking for an engine guy. Um, and some of these engine builders around here are way too expensive for lower buck teams like ourselves. And like Jack Patrick, who I know is looking for a motor builder. Yeah, um, I saw that. and that's where you might see some of these lower dollar teams actually show interest in these crate motors. And maybe, who knows, maybe down the road that is going to end up being the, the answer. But I think right now the issue is that nobody's going out and buying them because they already they already have four and fifty thousand dollar motors, like I said, so they'd have to sell those first and go in a completely different direction to to get a crate. Nobody wants boat anchors sitting around that they're not using anymore, so that's the problem I think right now.
1: I guess my question would be which I get all that, and I don't know that we need to be you know doing anything to force someone to you know set their big block you know whatever aside for a crate motor, but for those, I mean, there's, there's one or two of them at least, I think in, in the NESS division, um, you know, for those who have them, why could we not just find a way if they want to come and run at a Swiggle or run wherever Is is there an obstacle, uh, to that? Is there a rule against it? And if not, you know, why wouldn't we want to kind of make some sort of way for them to be able to compete with it? Um, and just sort of let it go where it goes rather than trying to stifle it because everybody wants to just keep running their very expensive engines.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, what I wish would happen is that the powers-to-be at ISMA MSS and then NESS all come together. They coordinate their schedules. There's no conflicts. Right. You can you can run the crate motor on all three Right. Uh, with a weight break, and then the, the top lane is just the same.
1: Correct,
0: Yeah. And to
2: me, that fixes everything. Um, you know, it, it just, I hate that Isma and MSS have kind of come together. Well, they have come together yes, now. Yes, they kind have. Of, everything's yeah. completely, yep. you know, combined there. Um, they're consolidating their websites, or social media accounts. It's, it's all one organization at this point. And um, I hate when there's super modified races scheduled against one another. And that's still happening between the New England series and Isma MSS. And I'm not faulting either side. I don't even know the people who run the New England series. Um, I'd go support it if I have the opportunity to next year. Um, But it, it just is too bad that they are competing on certain dates with one another. And it's a shame that there's just little rules that could very easily be fixed that are sort of working against each other right now and kind of pulling teams in the other direction one way or the other. So um, if they can work on a weight break and allowing both motors, the standard built motors we have now and the crates across all three sanctions, and then also just a one single wing rule that is the top wing, or you allow them all, no matter what element wing they are. Um, I think that's the answer. I get why they're trying to do something with the wing rule at some of those New England tracks, but, why is that
1: can you explain that because i don't really get it i mean it it, i know that they said at one point that they talked to bentley and bentley said something about he was afraid that wings would hook together i don't know that i've ever seen that in a super modified ever and so like but you happen to have the right NESs wing the other question i would have can is can you obviously you can run that wing configuration with isma so we're almost unified. Um, So, but talk about like, why, what is doing, what are they trying to accomplish with this?
2: I'm not exactly sure. Honestly, Um, I guess we'd have to ask them. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I don't get it. I I get that. They're trying to make it their own rule set and and everything like that, but it's not, it's, I think it's hurting them more than it's helping them. Um, We happen to have an old Butch Valley wing, Okay. Um, So that's the correct wing that they run out there. Um, Guys that have a wing like Otto on the Bodner car, uh, that's not allowed with with NESS. Um, Again, I don't know exactly what the thought process is behind all that. Um, I feel like I have an idea. I don't think it's about wings looking together. um, As as far as you know, how it makes the cars handle, and from a competitive standpoint. Um, they they probably don't want guys with these other wings coming in and blowing wings like I have into the weeds, but it, it just I don't know I feel like I'd be speaking out of turn. Uh, it's probably more a question for those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean again I just I don't know it it just feels like we're you know we're we're moving in the right direction. I mean I feel like 2023 has been a huge year for the big blocks uh, with them and MSS coming together and the the the, the challenge. Wing challenge uh, that uh, that John and his group put together being so successful, I feel like that it, it really was a big year in terms of forward progress here. And then you have, and again, I'm not uh, I'm not vilifying any SS. I just i I guess I don't understand why you know, some of them can say, well, we don't want to travel. Well, that's fine. You don't have to, but why wouldn't you want the most cars you could have at your shows? Why would you only want 10 car shows? You know? Um, and I feel like the, the, the wing rule, um, it, you know, the crate motor, I think is, I mean, they have it. So I feel like it's up to the rest of the super modified world to figure out how to at least make that, that, offering to go well okay here's what we'll do if you want to run a crate motor and you want to come and run wherever here's what you know here's how that's going to work and how we'll give you the opportunity to be competitive or whatever have you and then let like i said let that go where it goes because at that point it's up to whether you know people want to buy them or or not buy them um but for those who do they have a place to you know they they can go still race all the races the wing thing is seems to be the biggest obstacle here. And um I'm just not sure why you know why they're they're wanting to do that. Again, if you could, you know, it it, it does it does, is it hard? Would it be hard to take your wing basically and make it into an isma like a an isma wing uh, it, it does i don't get the impression that they're that much different really it it's isn't it this basically the same dimension all, all around it's just shaped differently or something
2: well so okay so what what we run um right now is like a we're going to run a valley style wing it's a two element wing. yeah um and what they're trying to outlaw or they have outlawed is the three element wing right and I guess my assumption is that they feel like the three element wing, like what is on Otto's car. And I think like Kyle Edwards car, Rich Reed, a lot of the Bodner cars run them. Um, they probably feel like it's a aerodynamic, maybe a handling advantage. Uh Um, so I guess I'm guessing it's probably a downforce thing. I feel like I've read that somewhere, but, um, again, I, sort of get what they're trying to do, but at the same time, it's it's also too bad that it keeps other cars from supporting them. Um, would any of those cars go out there to Thunder Road or Thompson? I, I I don't know. Otto has in the past. Maybe I feel like he would go out and run those races if that rule wasn't in place. Um, and then I have to correct myself. I think I said weight break for the, the open motors, but it's there's a gear rule.
1: Oh, it's a gear um, rule. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. So if you're not running the spec motor, which again, I don't think anybody is, um, then there's a gear rule, but I don't, I don't know if they're even enforcing the gear rule right now, because from what I understand, there's no spec motors in the entire field other than I know Robbie Summers was running one, but I, I've heard he's not anymore. Oh, uh, someone, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and I apologize if I am, but that's what I've heard. Um, like I said, I don't want to come out and speak out of turn or spew stuff that's incorrect, but that's, as a driver, um, that's my assumption is that they're trying to get away from the three element wing. Um, It's a bigger wing too. Um, And it, it, it is, it's, it's probably a, you know, a handling advantage, um, a downforce advantage. Um, They're probably thinking about the air behind those cars that are running three element wings that's probably hurting the air to the car that's behind that car in front of them. They have a three element wing. So, um, it's, it's all a downforce thing I'm guessing. And they seem to really be married to the Valley style wing and promoting that right now, which is great for, for us, but not so good for some of these Bodner cars and and guys that go out and buy these more expensive wings. The Valley wings are cheaper. I know that those, those three element wings, those are, those are really
1: pricey. What's the difference in cost between the two?
2: Oh, um, well, we we got a really good deal on our Valley style. It's been around a long time. I don't know. I think you can go get a wing kit from Butch that has everything for around $1,500, um, okay. which isn't horrible. Um, I'd be making up a number if I told you what the three element wing cost was. Depends on, who You're getting it from, but I know that they're more expensive. Well, they're a bigger way, and it's more material, um, so they are more expensive, okay. Um, I think quite considerably, uh, I, I think maybe even double the price. Wow! So, from what I've heard, anyways, I, I don't know if that's correct either, but I hope I don't sound like a complete idiot when people go back and listen to this. But. Well,
1: I mean, you're just <laughs> doing your best, to, and and I yeah. think. I think this, the, the, you're giving us the sense of, you know, the difference between the two. And I, see, I thought, cause I had spoken with John Nicotri about this a while back. And, um, and I thought he said that basically the overall, um, the overall size of the wing was the same, but that the wing, the Valley wings were that there was again, something about hooking they configured whether it was the side panels or something was, was a little different, Um, And I thought that he had told me, and again, I could be wrong because it's been a while since I've had this conversation, but I I thought that he had said that if it was just a matter of taking an element off the wing, that's not really that big of a deal. Um, So it just kind of feels to me like, um, you know, there's there's more to this. And like you said, they probably are kind of wanting just to unify with their wing because A, it's cheaper and B, you know, they don't want anybody with the other wings coming in and but you know it's it's, yeah. it's just a shame because an organization that is putting on super modified shows in New England only has 10 cars um, I mean that you know it, it certainly could be better and of course now um, nocotra just bought uh, John McKennedy's car which I think is a, a, a you know it probably got the valley Wing with it and um, yep. I don't think they've run it yet. Um, nope. But, uh, nope. That's
2: that's the thing. There's It's only 10 cars, but there's also not that many cars out in New England anymore, New England-based teams, not right. nearly as many as there used to be. So you have to get some of these Midwest guys or a couple of the New York guys to travel. And now, Otto, that's a good point. Otto now has a, a valley wing that would be NESS legal. And I was hoping he'd go to Thompson with that car. Yeah, I would I, love to have seen that. Forgot to mention that, um, but I get it. They had a, a long year, a lot of travel, frustrating end of the season, really sh- shitty way to, to lose the ISMA championship. I felt bad for them. Um, so I get why they're calling it a year. I think the car dropped a valve at Evans Mills. Right, okay. So, um, so I get that. But um, no, the problem is the the three-element wing is just wider. Um, it's different than taking away uh, the element or, or like a – Okay. You know, it's not it's not like a simple wicker change type thing where okay. you take wicker, take element away. It's it's a completely bigger wing, okay. um, and I think the NESS rule is that um, well, I know there's no three-element wings permitted at all, but your wings aren't allowed to be any more than six feet wide, I believe, um, okay. and and then they can't exceed I want to say twenty three 24 square feet i thought it was I that's it was
1: what like i thought like, was 24 square feet um, yeah
2: 24 square feet
1: yeah and so the big the you're telling me that the wings are bigger um most yeah. of them are bigger than 24 square feet so it's not set the same overall you know um okay yeah they're
2: just wider the yeah. three element wings okay. are
1: just wider okay yep. yeah that's i mean again it's a tough thing because you know what you what you've done is you've come in and instead of you know, instead of, okay, we have this new series, everybody can come and play. You've kind of come in and decided, well, this is what we want to do with our super modifieds. And so, you know, you do end up with a smaller field and um, you you now, for for the most part, with the exception of, you know, you and, and Otto and maybe anyone else who happens to have a valley style wing, um, can't go out there and run you've excluded most of the supermodifieds in you know in, in in the country at this point in the northeast and midwest anyway you've excluded them because of the wing you know and and um, I mean sure you, you know everybody could go out and buy us another entire wing 1500 bucks or whatever um, but I mean how many shows are you going to realistically go run and is that you know yep. worth it to you so it um, that's the thing
2: yeah, yeah how many well, are they going to go run and how many guys are they really losing anyway is right. probably they're thinking. Do I think it's the right rule? No, probably not. But how many guys are they losing? Maybe none for a good handful of the races for the later season races. Eh, I, eh they could be losing. A, they could be losing a couple. Well, I'm sure because, be. uh,
1: you know, if, if you had, I, I would, I would think that, you know, when it comes to Thompson, for example, um, Gosh, I would yeah, think people yeah. would go. I mean you you'd kind of run down a list of who you think would, would take their cars there, you know. Um Yeah,
2: Jeff can't go there. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, um guys that, that like to travel or whatever that could go there, but you've you've basically excluded them because of your rule. And that's just the you know again I'm not disrespecting him I'm just saying that I think that it's a shame that you know when people in New England see big block super modified racing now they're basically watching a heat race and and that's um you know 10 cars is is not a star power series that's you know it's it's just not and so it's it's really tough to um to see that when you know that if everybody could get on the same page And we could kind of find ways to include everybody and the same for the three fifties, really. Um, you know, if we could, if we could find ways to make the smack cars in their motor rule, you know, if everything could be equaled with, you know, with the other cars, um, you know, I mean, gosh, it, it it feels like there's some great opportunity out there. I mean, I, I heard somebody say some, I saw that somebody said something not long ago about, you know, somebody was testing the waters to see if you if you could take the three fifties if there was enough interest in a, in a speed weeks kind of deal with the three fifties. And it's like, holy cats, that would be huge, you know. But wh- who's going to be operating it, and what rules are we going to have, and you know, how are the cars going to race together? If you know, you got the smack cars versus the non-smack cars, depending on the track and whatever. Like, I think there's a golden a golden idea there um and i right. you know um gosh i think it would be i think that would be huge for super modified racing in general and that you could take a dozen to 14 15 16 cars down there and because it's once a year and it's kind of a novelty um you know i i think they would that would go over huge depending on you know where you put them what you did with it but of course, you know it's expensive to go to Florida and whatever. But I just think that it's opportunities like that that, if you could just have everybody be able to play together, it's opportunities like that that show off the product as a whole in the bigger picture that entice maybe a, a company or whatever to say, "Hey, you know, I like this. This is cool. Where can I, you know, do see more of this? You know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, so." It's, it... I don't know. Yeah, I think the big black one's the easier fix right now.
2: Um, it's looking at both schedules from this past season, there's already not that many conflicting dates, and if they could just eliminate those, yep. work together yep. on the, you know, the gear rule there with the built motors, and just scrap the wing rule. Um, I think you're right there. Maybe this New England series is leading the way uh, for the New England events. We can, we can get you know, the supers back to leave for yes. the silver and we can have a full field at Thompson again and have a full field for the Ollie, and um, just so many great tracks, Thunder road and white mountain uh, Oxford uh, man. It's just Claremont. There's so many places you can go out there. Um, Waterford Seacock. These are all tracks that um, the new England series has gone to that, you know, I think if just a little bit more emphasis on working together, Yep was placed and a little more forward thinking that these are tracks that could be seen, you know, not only super modified races, but full fields uh, moving forward. So I hope that works out with smack and the whole star <laughs> series. That's a whole mess. And I, I don't know if that'll ever get worked out, but right now smacks the odd man out because a swigo and, and star rules are, are pretty close. And uh, it's not identical and smacks just doing their own thing right now so um you know i hope that down the road at some point that the 350 tracks and sanctions can all come together but we'll see what happens
1: yeah i agree i mean i I just in this day and age uh and you know without having i mean it's like i always make the analogy with with sprint cars you know yeah you have different sanctioning bodies but pretty much a 410 sprints, 410 Sprint. You can go run it anywhere. The rules are, you know, essentially the same for the most part. Um, and there's hundreds of them or thousands or whatever all over the country. So, you know, there's never a, a shortage of cars at any big race. Whereas with the Supers, you know, we only have so many big blocks and we only have, you know, so many 350s at this point even. And so you, you know, the goal should be, that you want to open it up to every car um that that is available to run and wants to run and and right i feel like Isman and mss are that's on its way as you know cooperating was great because again that schedule no conflicts or whatever and so i i mean how much would it take for crying out loud for you know for any SS to eliminate that issue now you know, again with the with the specs, like you said, you know, if there's a gear roll, that's probably even better than than a weight break. Um, yeah, you know, yeah,
2: that's a lot better. Yeah. I mean,
1: and so so now you've made it. You know, and I I hadn't realized that Robbie had taken the spec out. I know he he was running one, but but it's kind of that's like better. you know, because that way, if the spec idea dies, it dies because people just don't want them rather than because you've made it impossible for, let's say somebody from Oswego to try one, Um, you know, because there's no, so I think if we, if we at least put it on the books to say, well, we're going to adopt this. If anybody wants to go out there and do it, I mean, we're not innovating in the supers like we used to anyway. So I just, I think it's at least that's one place we could, maybe somebody would want to take a shot at it and try it. But like you said, you're looking for motor builder and, so so is Jack, and for the and low, so will,
2: yeah a couple more people are going to be if Doug is done done um, yeah
1: I mean, he's that's... winding
2: down and still helped us out with a little rebuild before this past season and we didn't run enough to need a rebuild before 2024 but after next year we're going to run a lot and definitely are going to need one and um, I don't know where we're going to go honestly uh, we've been looking at our options and. Um, who knows? We'll we'll see the course this all takes. I don't see this crate motor coming in and taking over super modified racing anytime soon. No, um, I just think people are all—I <laughs> don't want to say stuck in their ways, but just content with doing what we have been doing for a long time now, and and don't want to worry about changing directions and um, selling what they have and going out and getting a different engine. Um, and again, I, I do. I get everything that this New England series is trying 100%. to do. 100%. Um, not knocking them at all, because if you look at what they're trying to do with that wing from an aerodynamic standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Um, for a racing standpoint, you know, looking at the product of the show that these cars are putting on, I get why they're suggesting that maybe a three-element wing is, um, you know, detrimental to to downforce. Yeah. Um, I, I get it, but do I think it's hurting the car counts? Yes. And in my opinion right now, unification and uh, full field is a little more important, a lot more important. And then you tweak that stuff later on. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. It just, I get everything they're trying to do, but I don't see this crate motor thing coming in and taking over anytime soon. Um, if ever, um, I think that guys are just going to keep freshening their, their big block motors and, they're open motors, and uh, we all know it's a rich man's sport, so a lot of these guys have the money to keep fresh in their $50,000 yeah. motors. Um, but for your Jack Patrick's and guys like that, um, you know, maybe maybe the crate motor is, is the saving grace, and down the road it becomes your, you have a mixed field. Some are running crate motors, and some are running the opens there with the gear rule. That's that could be but i just don't think it's going to completely take over
1: no i well i mean in anything like that is always some a lot of times what i've observed with racers is you almost have to just tell them this is how it's going to be and yet you know you got to yeah. be careful about that because you don't want to chase them away but racers are their own worst enemy they'll all complain because they want more purse money <laughs> and then turn yeah. around and you know and 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 not look at something like this that Maybe could be, I don't know the availability, like, I don't know, um, you know, what, if I wanted to go out and race a crate motor, um, how quickly could I have one? What, what does that entail in terms of maintenance and rebuilds and all that? But I think I, I do think what the NESS was attempting to do or is attempting to do with that. Um, and it seemed like, uh, you know, Robbie's crate was pretty good though, he's not running it now so if if that's the case so i mean if that's then you wonder well why did he take it out and if nobody's running it you know but i do i I know eventually i mean if you just look at the big picture where everything's going in the automotive world which the racing will follow that eventually this is all going to have to change like there's only these, these normally aspirated motors are only going to have so long of a shelf life. Now, you know, yep. so, you know, to me, I just feel like if you're forward thinking, you at least put the rule on the book and allow it so that if someone wants to do it, they can do it and, you know, and, 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 and keep going. And then again, let the market determine it's, you know, it's viability and, and, you know, their preference, um, you know, I, I feel like that could be something that, that's, it's basically just putting the rule the rule book that, that could be changed in 10 minutes, the wing. Right. And, and then I think on the NES side, again, like we talked about with the wings, um, I don't know, I guess. Uh, here again like i remember boy back again I, I go back to the days when i was first you know watching these shows in the 70s we had all kinds of different wing configurations nobody ever said anything and then i think it was 1980 bobby stelder came out with this this massive wing on the 04 car um for for uh that he was driving and then all of a sudden everybody had him and um you know, it's it's kind of like again, I say, you know, maybe somebody back then needed to to kind of check themselves at the door, but um, you know, I I just feel like that wings to increase their field year over year and and get more interest in the division, um, you know, they're they're just kind of stuck where they are and they're isolating themselves with a couple of things that would yep. you know. So Anyway, um, interesting insight. Let's get to the Oswego Banquet because um, that happened recently as well before you... Uh, went on your latest ex- excursion, um, and, um, so, yeah. Uh,
2: straight from the banquet to Lee.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And then night. you know, um, and and then uh, you know, you were uh, on another trip. you just you just got back from. So you've been doing a lot of traveling around. But um, tell us how the banquet went. I was impressed with some of the award winners and such, and it looked like it was a good time had by all.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really nice, and actually super happy with the amount of tickets that were sold. Uh, I think 215 tickets was the number. So um, that was really good. Um, The problem was it's a gorgeous venue. Um, I think we got more people than they originally anticipated. We've been going out to Bayshore Grove um, as opposed to the Lake Ontario Event Conference Center where we had had it for a number of years. And I think there was at least a few handfuls of people that were really disappointed they weren't able to get tickets um, because they completely – sold out. So,
1: um,
2: oh. on one hand, that's good. Um, on the other, that's a bummer for, you know, a lot of those guys that wanted to come out. Um, poor Josh Jakolik wasn't even able to be there. Um, they ended up not getting tickets in time and, um, that was just a shame. So, uh, aside, aside from all that, um, super happy with how it went. Um, I thought the venue was again, an excellent choice. Uh, the food was good. And I thought Roy and Joe did a nice job hosting things. Um, Matt Thomas at Thomas video did a really nice job on the top three videos for for each class. Okay. Um, I'd like to see Danny K come back and do the hall of fame videos for us. Cause I really miss those and watch them all the time on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, he, he we does. need to bring those, we need to bring those back into the fold. So um, that would be great if down the road that that could happen, but other than that, a really nice job, like I said, by people I mentioned, uh, Steve Quantz doing the AV stuff, uh, just everybody involved, John Bonofsky at J.B. Sign Co. on the, the plaques and, and trophies, so just a really nice job by everybody and appreciate all the hard work put in. Um, we're one of the only tracks around here, I feel like I keep mentioning this, that still has a true awards banquet at the end of every season, and uh, a, Swiggo, a Swiggo management team should should be proud of that, and uh, certainly not take it for granted they aren't cheap uh at all and I just really appreciate that Tracy's doing it for us and everybody who puts all the time and and effort in to to make it possible it was a good time
1: yeah it's uh it it's it sounds like it was a good time and and I agree with all of that uh sounds like the the ticket issue was maybe just a matter of um either a um you know, some people just waiting too long to get tickets, or B, maybe not everybody got the message in time or whatever. I'm not sure, but yeah, whatever it is, maybe a little bit of both. It seems like yep. that could be something that could be more easily sorted for next year, um, and and everybody makes sure that the 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 folks winning the awards certainly should you know should be guaranteed tickets, like. You know, we have X number of seats, we gotta set aside X amount for each of the you know, each of the the, the dignitaries that are actually winning right. the awards kind of thing, right. right? And then the rest go on sale to the public. Yeah.
2: And yeah. so just that should be a lesson learned for the future. Yeah, yep.
1: for sure. And and with the availability of, you know, online ticketing and all that, that should be an easy fix. But um other than that, uh, you know, all good stuff. So um basically that kind of closes the door on uh oswego speedway super modified competition and uh business more or less for 2023 and really is mss any ss too i think except for the show upcoming well that's a 350 show this weekend right uh that's um upcoming still in new england but oh, yeah uh,
0: Claremont. Yep. Claremont.
1: yeah but um but what do we know uh is there any news that we haven't talked about bef- yet on on the show for 24?
2: No, not quite yet. Uh, I know that Johnny's series is going to look very similar to what it was. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe one way or another. Uh, it's going to be five races. Okay. That's what I know. But I thought maybe I'd heard it was possible they were going to add a tail wing race. Um, I don't know if that will be a sixth race. Um, right now I know it's five. Okay. Or if they would do five in favor of three for the tail lane and two for the top lane. Um, I guess we'll find out, but the fact that that is back is great. Um, Sandusky's come out with their high miler dates already. Um, we're looking at opening day, probably Memorial Day weekend again, sure. which I hate, but um, I, I miss the days opening May 14th, you know, around that, yeah. that time frame. Um, but we're not going to run any less races. It's going to be a full slate again, um, okay. probably 10, 11 features for the. 350s and SBS eight or nine for the big blocks, just as it was this year, uh, plus the top lane shows. So um, I don't know when the schedule is going to come out. Um, I've kind of been asking Chuck, and um, he's been working with Johnny Nakotra, uh, and then also has to sit down and meet with the three and everybody. So it's probably going to be a little bit, unfortunately. Um, but I would say before the probably before Christmas, before the first of the year, okay. uh, they'll have it all worked out. Um, so we'll keep everybody posted. Um, and then as far as the banquet, um, the Coroner and Crew of the Year, I should probably give you the award winners. Yes, let's do it. Uh, Durant Pellinger Racing and the Supers. Nice. Geo Racing, Greg O'Connor in the SBS, and then Perry Racing in the 350s. Very nice. And the Rookies of the Year, uh, Brian Osetek in the Supers, Jake Brown and Mike Fowler tied for SBS Rookie of the Year. Oh, First wow. time it happened ever in the SBS class. Um, And then Special Recognition Awards, Uh, Brian Johnson won the Ed Clark Spirit Award from the Track Safety Crew. Uh, Sherry Hanley was the Lois Matzik Woman of the Year Award winner. Uh, Most Improved Drivers, myself, uh, Drew Pascuzzi in the SBS, and Nick Barzee in the 350 Supers. Awesome. And then the Hall of Fame class, which I think most everybody knows at this point. And if you didn't know who they were, you found out about it from J.J. Andrews' yeah. speech that went viral on Facebook. As you would <laughs> expect. That was the, 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 I don't know, it wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be, but it was even funnier than I thought it was going to be. But he did a great job. Uh, so J.J. and Bobby Bond getting in as drivers, Steve Miller as car owner and car builder, Doug Holmes is engine builder, Mike Shrimp, track employee, electrician, does all that stuff for us, and then, Chuck Hanley is track official and sponsor with Burke's Home Center. Um, Just a really great class of Hall of Fame inductees. That's an awesome class, actually, and uh, I have the utmost respect for all those guys, and uh, especially Doug. He's done done a lot for us the past few years, getting into super modified racing and taking care of a low-dollar team like ourselves. So just congratulations to all them and appreciate everything that Doug Holmes does for us
1: yeah for sure and doug is it's funny because you know uh he always one of the premier engine builders but then he got into the restoration business uh you know know. and uh and he's been so instrumental in you know the champagne offset and the deuce uh you know and and uh so to to hear that he may be you know pulling out or slowing down, um, definitely is, you know, that's going to be a loss because, you know, again, there's only so many motor builders I would imagine. And, and, um, you know, like you said, it's pretty expensive, some of them. And, um, of course, you know, again, it's market value, right? What people will pay, but, um, you know, it's, it's just tough. Uh, so Doug, Doug's loss would be felt big time. Um, if he, you know, if, and when he pulls out. So, um, you know we'll see where that goes but definitely a good hall uh class there and um funny that mike shrimp uh gets in during a year in which uh it seemed like he was sort of prominent uh you know <laughs> yeah. he had a couple of power outages that he had to attend to and that that sort of he got his um he got his 15 minutes of fame so to speak and um, does a great job, obviously, and you know, uh, people don't realize. I, I don't think. I mean, we, you know, we talk about, um, you know, people talk about, well, you know, that stuff shouldn't be happening. First of all, electrical stuff happens regardless. You can, you can have the the latest and greatest, and stuff's still going to happen. But people, I don't think people also realize, you know, with a racetrack, uh, a huge facility. Like I remember, you know, even being at Fulton, and you know, just the enormity of a facility like that it, or, or a we go the amount of you know electrical wiring and everything else that exists in there it's not like you can go back every year and <laughs> refresh all your wiring it just doesn't work like that so you're gonna have issues and you need it you need somebody like a mike shrimp that knows you know obviously knows what he's doing to be able to quickly identify the problem and fix the problem so you don't lose an entire night of racing
2: right yeah, it is kind of fun. They he had to do it twice this year, like you said to save the day. So they yeah. probably felt like, "Oh
1: man, we have to put him the all in yeah.
2: now. <laughs> now he's really got to get inducted."
1: Yeah, we yeah. got we got to get that done this year. So, yeah. no that's 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 awesome. Um well, Camden, it's always fun to uh to talk with you and I know that you're going to be heading um out of the country back over to Norway here soon and um will uh we'll continue to 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 make things happen as we need to and as news warrants uh um and uh you know should be exciting to to stay up to date through the winter and then we'll look forward obviously to having you back stateside um you know in the in the springtime to get ready for 2024 um and uh appreciate you taking the time to come on and keep us up to date with everything that's going on
2: yeah, I sure will look forward to talking when I'm over there.
1: All right. Sounds good. That's Camden Proud. And uh back with What's in a Number in just a moment. It's time now for What's in a Number, and this segment being brought to you today by LaGroff's Pub. LaGroffe's proprietary beef blend mixture brings the quality of big city burgers without the big city price. Because Oswego's not really a big city, is it? The succulent wings, homemade sauces, and array of soups each carry their own distinct flavors and add a new twist on the experience of the old town pub. LaGroffe's main staple, main mantra is that they care about the quality of. Of the foods and the beverages, and the little details about how the inside of the building looks. I mean, from tip to toe, basically, LeGroff's Pub and Grill is a wonderful experience and a wonderful way to spend uh, an evening or a Sunday afternoon watching football. They've got the Sunday ticket. You can I think there's eight big screen TVs in there so you can watch football. You can shoot darts. Oh, by the way, you can order online too. So you can even do that. So please give Lagroff's Pub an opportunity to serve you as often as possible. Sean Cathcart and his staff support racing like crazy. So again, support those who support racing. Support Lagroff's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego, you can see their hours on their website, LaGroffs.com. It's L-A-G-R-A-F-S, LaGroffs Hub. In Oswego. Okay, what is in a number? Today, the number 32, and I have to tell you, I just, I, I love this number because Jim Sewell had it. And when I was younger, and even first starting out in the in the media side of things, Jim was just one of the most entertaining and down to earth gentlemen that you know that I would I would talk to, and you know I I boy it it just uh, the 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 characters that were. <laughs> And I don't say that in any kind of a, I mean, Jimmy was a character. Jim was a really nice guy and he was funny. Um, you know, he just had a way of putting things sometimes. Um, but again, he was just so, uh, so friendly and, and he was so passionate about racing too. And that's where I start with the 32. Cause again, you can go back to the sixties. I wasn't there um couldn't name you a 32 out of the 60s i don't know that jim sewell even had a car before i think 1970 maybe or even 71 i forgot but i think maybe 70 but um he may have but that jim jim's 32 the jim sewell 32 twos first car that that i remember is 32 i started going in 73 early in the season and um We'll get to that in a minute, but I want to back up because I can. I know I'm not going to get all of the drivers who have driven the car for Danny um, because there's just been too many. I'll be shocked if I get through them all and one of you don't jump in a comment and go, so-and-so drove it too. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a few of those, so I'm kind of letting myself off the hook up front, but I'm going to have some fun with the ones I know. So sit back and relax, and and uh, let's let's take a trip back in time, shall we? Um, again, I I don't look these up because I'd rather do it out of memory. But I believe it was 1970 when Jim Winks won Rookie of the Year. Maybe it was 71, but um, he won Rookie of the Year driving for uh, driving for Jimmy Jim Sewell in the 32. And uh, I was trying to remember right off the. The bat, um, who the driver was that was in the car before Jimmy got in it. I believe the gentleman was a Canadian. And the reason why I say that is because I think that I remember that when Jimmy finally, there was one night the regular driver couldn't drive and Jimmy got in it, Jimmy Winks, and ran well enough that the regular driver said, well, you know, it's, it's hard for me to travel anyway. So just let Jim drive it. And that's how that started, I think. And, um, and, and I don't know if there was a driver after Jim Winks, but before the driver I first saw in the 32 car, and this would have been the old upright car that, Jim had at that time. But when I first started going in 1973, Ronnie McCloud was the driver. Ron McCloud, again, you know, I was five. So I was, uh, I was, you know, aware enough. I, even back then, I mean, I I, I was as well read as a five-year-old could be, right? I was ahead in that part of my, I guess you could say my schooling or learning or whatever. I was a good reader even then. Um, and so I picked up on the names quickly because I'd read the race book and, you know, and whatever. But, um, Rama Cloud, um, you know, I, I obviously at five, I didn't know how to judge talent, right? Unless they were winning, <laughs> you know, as a five-year-old, it's like he's fast. Uh, you know, he's slow. You don't really have any background. to um, And you don't know the difference between um, an upright car, which was already starting to get outdated. And I don't know that Jim had, you know, the biggest motors or whatever, everything that he needed to be competitive, even if the car still could be. But you only had in 1973, I could think of exactly one upright that could win a race. We all know what car that was. <laughs> um, So, you know, Ron was, but he was, Ron was just, it was cool. That was a cool, to me, that car was cool. It, it was, it was different and it had this sort of, you know, buggy aspect of it you know to it the the uprights as the uprights kind of did um and so yeah ronnie ron was driving it and um it um i i think he drove for a couple of years and then he uh for whatever reason, he and Jim went, you know, w- went apart. I don't know exactly why. But Ron bought then the former Gordon Duke's car, I think, that, that uh, became his 81. It was his last car. And so the next driver that I remember in the 32 was Eddie Bell. Um, No. I think I'm wrong. I think the next driver was actually Johnny Michaels, and Johnny Michaels. They built a new car for Johnny. Um, I now I'm see now I'm second guessing again because I remember that um, on Classic Weekend in 1976, I think it would have been Eddie Bell spun the car spun the, the the new 32 that they had built into the into the wall in the first turn on practice Friday I think it was and they ended up bringing the upright back out for him to drive on Sunday I don't think he made the race but um so somewhere in Say the 75, 76 area. Johnny Michaels and Eddie Bell both drove the car. Johnny ended up getting hurt. I think it might have been Johnny in 75. And he ended up getting hurt badly, I think, in a crash. And it might have been with his modified. And I don't think it was the Super, but it may have been. Um, and... They And he was out of racing for a while. In fact, I'm not sure he ever drove again. Maybe he drove a modified, but I don't think he ever got back into Supers after that crash. So I think Eddie Bell and maybe Eddie was before and after. I don't know. I can't remember that. But I know they both had stints in the car. Johnny was a modified racer, and they called him underdog. And interestingly enough, I believe that's actually where Ron Gapsky kind of came from, I think Ron started as a crew is he did race. Uh, I think some on the dirt at Brewerton, but I think Ronnie was a crew person. Ron Gapsky is a crew person for Johnny Michaels. I think if I remember that correctly. So bell bell was the last person. I, I think to run the upright car under the soul. Well, no, that's not true um i'll say it this way yeah i think he was the last guy to run it as a 32 under the sewell racing uh, banner um and then uh i think the next driver of the 32 was mark letcher i think letcher was the next one to get in it mark had a long stint several years in that car And did pretty well with it. The the upright, I think, was last driven by Rob Stiles, a guy named Rob Stiles. Rob um, renumbered the car zero. And I think he only ran it a time or two at Oswego. I don't really know if Rob had a racing history or if this was his first time driving, but um, I think he only ran it a time or two at Oswego, maybe ran it at Fulton a little bit or whatever, but um, I don't think he drove it much. Now, rumor has it that Dan still has that car. Dan Sewell still has that upright. I would love to see that car come out. Um, that car... I believe was the old Bob Stelter 85 and I can't remember again. I can't remember the name of the guy that Stelter bought it from Lou Dabrowski. Maybe no, I don't think that's the right name. Um, But um, Bobby, uh, Bobby bought it, ran it. And then, and I think it was Bobby that talked Mike Rizzo into getting into super modified racing. <laughs> I guess I guess Mike would have an opinion now uh, about whether or not that was ultimately a good decision, but um, certainly I did have a lot of fun, had a nice career, but um, anyway, back to the 32. So Ledger drove it, um, I think right up to the time that Danny started to drive. There was a point in time, I don't remember why, if it was just, you know, too expensive to run two cars or maybe Letcher, uh, maybe one of them got, you know, hurt in a crash or whatever. Uh, one of the cars, I mean. Because um, um, at one point, Danny was in the 31 and Letcher was in the 32. Um, I then... There, there was a time, um, I don't know, again, I, I'm not sure. I was trying to think if Letcher drove anything after that, and I'm not sure that he did. I think he might have just retired, and Danny took over the car um, and became 32, and then that was, it's been that way ever since. But for Jimmy Sewell's part of it, it was good that he got to see his son start racing, and Danny was a prospect right from the start. He did a good job right out of the gate. And again, followed right in his father's footsteps as far as being a gentleman and somebody that I always enjoyed talking to. Um. And then there became the I, I'm going to call it the Danny Sewell era, because I believe that once Danny became the thirty two, uh, and and if you re- if you want to hear the details, you can. <laughs> There is, a, we do have an episode of the show where I interviewed Danny about his whole career. So we, we go over all this, but again, I don't like to prepare for these. Um, it's more fun to test my brain, but I'm going to call the, from the, from the point that Danny took over the 32 car until today, I'm going to call that the Dan Sewell Because Danny was the only driver until he stopped driving. I believe. I don't think there was ever a second car or a, another 31 car or whatever that, that sort of, and by the way, I forgot that in the last show. <laughs> I forgot that that actually Danny Sewell, I don't think I mentioned it anyway. I might have started as as the 31. I might have left that part out. I did think of it. I remember that I thought of it while I was talking about Jim Gray, but I think I just may have gotten so busy talking about Jim Gray that I glossed over Danny. But I, I may have mentioned it anyway, um, that uh, once Danny took over the car, he stayed in that car until he retired or stopped racing. I don't know if he would call it retirement. But um. and man, from there, we've had a number of drivers and I'm sure there's some I don't remember because the ISMA part of it, it's been hard for me to kind of keep track of over the years. And I might get the order wrong with some of these. So I'm not going to worry too much about the chronological order. But I'll, I'll just talk about the ones that I know that have been in the car. And, you know, y'all can put them in whatever order they should go in. So the I remember that, for example, um, Timmy J. I believe, won an Isma Classic in that car. I think Timmy J won an Isma Classic in that car. Timmy G- Um Gary Albritt ran the car for a while, and Gary did really well with it. Um, Timmy J, by the way, um, his son is now is now racing. There's sort of this whole second gen thing going on now in, in the Midwest. Cause you've got Timmy J's son. You've got, uh, um, Sawyer stout. You've got, uh, I know I'm missing a couple here. I think there's a younger Henness. I can't remember his name. Uh, maybe, um, but there's, you know, you've got sort of that, uh, you know that whole second gen thing going on in the in the midwest right now which is really cool to see i think it's casey jedra isn't it casey J. we have timmy J. and casey i think it's casey again that's off the top of my head um but timmy was fantastic my gosh he could drive the wheels off a car and everything he got in he was fast nice guy too um so that was I. I can remember I was in I was in the pits for that one, watching that one. I um, I think I, w- I stood most of the time in turn four, for for that race. And just I mean they were that car was fast. So I think Timmy got Timmy got a win there. Uh, um, with it, Gary had Gary Albright had some great starts with it. Um, but Gary ran good with everything. Gary Gary's humble and he kind of underplays sometimes. And I know when he was younger that Gary, you know, I I mean a lot of folks say that he he was just too happy with the throttle. But gosh, I I mean I just I'd rather have a driver like that. And I thought that was a great point, by the way that that Talon Hawksby made on our last show, as young as he is, about you know I'd rather. I'd rather have a driver who's a little over-aggressive and have to dial them down than, you know, and that's what I've always said too, because it's a lot harder to take somebody who's passive and make them aggressive than it is to take somebody who's over-aggressive and make them less aggressive. It's easier to turn someone's aggression down than to turn it up is what I've always thought. And so it, it, the, the problem is it can also be more expensive. And So I think, you know, there's there, you can look at Gary's career, uh, you know, early part of his career, like the indie part of his career, for example, and say, well, gosh, if he just, you know, if he hadn't crashed as much, maybe he would have, but you know what it's back then, especially those things, those cars. I mean, I, it's, it's just tough, you know, it's, it's, uh, and it's expensive. That's the problem. It's just, you know, those cars even back then were costly for the day. So, right. So it's, it's, um, I, I really have always wished that things would have gone better for him in the indie car side of things. Cause I always thought Gary was just one of the best helmet toters it's ever raced at a Swiggo. Um, and everything he got in went faster than it was with the other driver. Maybe with the exception of the 93 car when he drove for miles in 74. But I don't know how much to blame that on Gary as opposed to the car. You know, Baldy had a couple big years in it in 72 and 73. Gary got in it in 74. He did okay. Wasn't great. Baldy got back in it in 75. Didn't do any better than Gary was. And... You know, so I, again, I don't know what all the reasons were, but, um, other than that, if you think about Gary's career, we can talk about this on some other show, but, um, you know, almost everything he drove went better than it did with other guys. He got the most out of everything he ever drove. He was always a very reliable, very steady racer back to the 32. So, uh, we covered, Timmy J, we covered Gary Albert, and Kenny Bell was another driver I remember being in the car watching race the car. And Kenny was another driver that I thought had a lot of talent. Um he was as capable as anybody on any given night of running up front. Really nice guy, too. Kenny Bell was 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 a super nice nice guy and and like i said very talented racer um and this is where it gets a little murky because there there was a point where i kind of left the oswego area and while i was still for a while i was still going back to the track or whatever you just you you sort of lose it all and then when when danny took the charisma racing only um at that point i don't but here's here are some names that i think about they have driven for Danny. And again, if you want, you can hear Danny himself talk about all of it. On his episode of the Inside Groove, all you got to do is just go to steeringwellnation.com and go to the shows and podcast page. You'll have the um, the archive player for Inside Groove. Just scroll down. It should be in there. Episode should be in there. Danny, uh, let's see. I think Dave McKnight for a while maybe I want to say I also want to say that um, oh gosh uh, Lou Ciccone I think might have driven for him too for a while um, boy I know there's more than this because um, the only other name I'm coming up with is Mo Lilgy, and then of course the one stint that Josh Sakolick had in the car um this year, but Mo Wilge has been with him a while. I, I know there were some others uh that I'm not gonna think of, again, because that it I just you know, you don't see as much or read as much or whatever, but um I I think he's had two or three others, but Danny has actually had a um he's had a nice career as a team owner and continues to support and actually is the ISMA president right now um, and is doing a good job. I think he's done a, a really, really good job as as the president. He had a tall task coming in because there were a lot of things that needed to sort of be re, re-envisioned. We'll, leave it, we'll put it like that, right? And so Danny... Danny's done a good job, I think, early on in his tenure, and I hope he continues to lead the organization because I think if he does, give him another two, three years, and you'll have a nice, strong ISMO organization again. So, uh, again, you look at, I mean, if I'm right about Dave McKnight, and I'm almost sure, but I'm not positive. For some reason, I want to say that that that's the case, but um, maybe not. Dave drove a number of different cars, and I'm thinking he drove for Dan for a while, but maybe not. Um, but I know, I'm almost positive Lucicone did, and I think his was a little bit longer a tenure. Um, but um, the other thing I will say about Dan, that team built gorgeous cars. You look at that at the current 32, and... Uh, you know, it's not the only one, but it is one of the most gorgeous. First of all, I love the Sewell Blue. I always love that color. But just the craftsmanship on it, it, just a beautiful race car. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if Danny wanted to drive again, he could, but... Um, <laughs> It's nothing stopping him he owns the car right so i but i just drivers are funny now about the word retirement you know you see that nascar all the time i'm stepping back from full-time competition retirement yeah <laughs> but somehow i think it makes them feel older than they are if they say they're stepping back from full-time competition you know and then maybe rick hendrick will call him for you know um put a fifth car together under some other owner's name and put them in the 500, Daytona 500 or something, right? So stepping back from full-time competition. So that's what Danny did. I don't know that he ever said he retired. Maybe he did. But there were a bunch of different drivers in that car. And the funny thing is, they're in the big block, super modified cars. That's one of those numbers that's still going. Like, there's, it's still sore racing. I don't believe there's been another 32 car at Oswego from the time Jim Sewell started with a 32 until now. I don't think there has been another 32 car that has raced at the Oswego Speedway in the big box supermodifieds. Danny Kapazinski's running his 32 in the 350 division. But, and we've had... Uh, I feel like there was a thirty-two in the limited slash SBS class at one point too, and I, I just am not drawing the the name, but I feel like we had one. But as far as the big block supers, I do not believe there was another. There's ever been another thirty-two. Now watch, <laughs> somebody's going to get me on that one. But it would have had to have been more recently because, uh, you know, since the time that, that Danny started running Isma with the car. But I don't remember him ever having to renumber the car when he would come back to run something because another 32 was there. So he may have been, that may be, you know, a, a number that has been. And if that's the case, as I'm sitting here processing this, and again, there Jim Sewell might have started, with the 32 prior to 1970, but I'm just going to go from 70 forward here. 53 years. Over half a decade. With the same number in the same family, Eddie Bellinger or the Bellinger family. Oh, two from 72. So 50 years, 51 years for, for the O two. Now, you can say that the maybe the 0-2 is the longest currently or consistently run number at Oswego because Dan didn't run every year because he was running ISMA. Um, but that's an amazing stat when you think about it. Still going. Still going. And again, you, you think about the history of Oswego Speedway and supermodifieds and, and you know, the characters, the, the, the gentlemen, the people that were, you know, Ron McLeod was one of them. And he, I think, was it Bruno Marcheson that was driving the 32 before Jimmy Winks? For some reason, that name just popped into my head. Again, not, not sure, but Ron McLeod was just a nice guy. And it's so cool to, you know, to see, um, His family end up in the 350 class for a short time, ran his 81, then his 32. So they kind of tributized Ron both ways, which I think is amazing. I think that's super cool. So there's your look at what's in the number. If I missed any, just let me know. Won't be the first time. Sure. It won't be the last. We're, we're counting down by the way. We've only got three more shows of this 33, 34 and 35. And again, some fun history and people to talk about in those, those numbers there. So uh, excited to, to get to those, but only three shows left of this segment. This is one of those segments that has a sell-by date. It has an expiration date because we started it at episode 36 and we've covered every number up to now, including 32. It's fun to do. So we'll have a few more of those. Hope you enjoyed this show. We've got um, much more to come here in the weeks ahead. Still a long list of uh, drivers and personalities to get in here. We just, again, it's a matter of uh, getting them to say yes when we can do them. And so... (laughs) We're going to have a busy fall and winter. A lot of stuff coming. I'm excited about it. And uh, again, for more great content, steeringwheelnation.com. You do have the option. It is a social media. You can join it. You can comment. You can share and like. We're trying to build a community here. So it doesn't cost you anything to join. You can choose the content that you want. We're not sharing all of the content from the, the, the hub out to social media. So there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get shared that's in there. And we're going to start doing some giveaways here pretty quick too. So steeringwellnation.com for more great content and join if you wish. And we look forward to the next episode of Inside Groove. Thanks to all of our sponsors. And thanks to all of you for listening and sharing. Until the next Inside Groove, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. God bless. So long.
0: You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com.